The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. On this week's Court TV podcast, the men charged in the killing of Ahmad Arbery made their first appearance in court, and we were there with gavel-to-gavel coverage. Court TV anchor Ted Rollins joins me with an update on the latest developments. Is a change of venue in order due to racially charged aspects of this case? Will the accused try to make the claim this was all self-defense? We'll get into it all next. This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinnie Politan. Welcome to the Court TV Podcast. I'm Vinnie Politan. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. And, and first of all, off the top, let me just start by, um, I know what we all have been going through, and I just want to hope and, and, and say that uh, all of us are making it through a tumultuous time, and I hope that you and your family are doing as best as you can under all the circumstances and everything that we collectively have been enduring. Uh, but our system of justice continues and, and court TV continues. And that's why I think what we're doing here uh, today is important. It's important because, you know, part of what everyone's been talking about, this national discussion, um, eventually ends up as a trial inside a courtroom somewhere. And, and you've got people on, on both ends because these cases will be contested. Uh, you have someone seeking justice. And, and what justice means to one person may be different than what justice means to another person. What justice is for you may not be what justice is for me. Uh, but together, our, our system works it out, figures it out. And at the end, there's, there's some, I'm not going to say solution, but there is some resolution to the cases but that doesn't mean that everyone at the end of the day is happy with what happened. Our, our system is built that way, that people aren't happy at the end of it because it's an adversarial system. You have people accused of crimes. You have people who are saying, I am not guilty. And it ends up getting litigated inside a courtroom. But the way our system works is that people then decide. Everyone who's accused of a crime is entitled to have a jury of his or her peers make that decision. So that's just the backdrop. Let's get into it, though. And, and we're going to focus this episode, uh, as you heard, uh, on Ahmad Arbery and his case and the three men accused of his murder, uh, because there were things that actually happened inside a courtroom. In the midst of everything else happening, yes, there were people inside a courtroom. Court TV covered it live, and um, we had someone on the ground. We had someone at the courthouse who, who did that. And now what I want to do is bring him in. Court TV anchor Ted Rollins is with us. Ted, um, first of all, I know you're super busy, as we all are each and every day, Court TV. So uh, I appreciate you, you stopping uh, by here today. But let me start here, because you're down at the courthouse, Glynn County, Georgia, right? You, like I, have been covering the shooting death of Ahmaud Arbery uh, from studios and from our homes, and and we've watched the videotape. You broke down the videotape better than anyone uh, has broken it down. But then you went to the neighborhood, and you were actually there. The first thing I want to hear from you, what what is the biggest difference in your perception of this entire case, shooting, whatever, however you want to term it, having been on the ground now versus covering it from afar and, and seeing it from afar like the rest of America. 
Well, it is astounding how peaceful, how small uh, this neighborhood is. And I was shocked. Um, it, it just doesn't add up. It's safe. The people I talked to there, you know, we went there thinking, wow, we have to really be on guard. There's going to be a lot of anti-media people. The neighbors are going to be up and um, into a frenzy. Everyone's going to be like the McMichaels are accused of being. No, it's not like that at all. It's shocking that Ahmad Arbery died in this setting. It is peaceful. The, the road is so narrow. Um, and it's, it's twofold when you're there. You realize he was trapped. There was nowhere to go. There's a canal that borders one side of the neighborhood. There's a highway that borders the other side of the neighborhood. The roads themselves, Satilla Drive, Holmes Road, very narrow. Two pickup trucks hunting him down. It is heartbreaking to be there, to walk the exact route that he walked, um, the last route he walked in, in his life and ran. He was running for his life and being hunted down by these two pickup trucks and three men. That's so significant and, and so important because looking at the video and you think about neighborhoods and you think about, well, could he cut through the houses? Could he go this way? Could he go that way? You know, what, was he running towards them? Was he running away? Um, but your description paints a different picture for me. Um, how about the, 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 the nature of this chase in, in terms of the way it was described during that preliminary hearing? It just sounded like utter chaos. But how how far was he running how that's that's the part that i still don't understand you're saying the neighborhood is small um how how would you describe having seen the neighborhood looked at the maps and heard the testimony putting together this chase yeah the, the neighborhood is small in that it's confined to four or five streets and that's it you know it's off a highway it's bordered by um like like i said earlier this canal that runs along the back end um but the way he was running and double backing, he was running for an extended period of time. And you add the fear factor, what he was emotionally going through, you can only imagine how um, he how he, he was feeling. And it, yeah, it had to be chaos in that the, there were these two pickup trucks hunting him down. But I think that was it. There was The neighborhood is so quiet. I think it was these three out in the middle of the day um, and, it, it's just, you know, being there, you have a different perspective of it all. It is just overwhelming how peaceful and quiet this neighborhood is. It doesn't mix with what happened. And and to your point, the chase was chaotic, but it was also confined to just these three people, really, with the or about these four people, and then and then the two pickup trucks. All right, let's talk about the hearing now. You're at the courthouse. Um, paint the picture for us, uh, what it's like, because we got two things going on here, right? We've got um, what our nation is 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 talking about and, and these protests from coast to coast, which, you know, are about police. But this this case also is, is sort of part of that discussion. Right. And then you've got the coronavirus and you've got people wearing masks um, nobody knows what to do. Do I go inside? Do I go outside? Can I be, what was it like at the courthouse? Because they actually did this inside a courtroom. They did. Now the defendants were not there. The McMichaels appeared via video and William Roddy Bryant waived his appearance. So it was just his attorney. However, each defendant had two attorneys. There were family members 
inside the courtroom for both sides. And you had, of course, the court staff. And now you put everybody six feet away from each other and the entire court room is full with just that amount of people. Um, we were in an overflow room right next door. It was where the grand jury assembles. And there again, social distancing was the rule uh, in the courthouse for this hearing. So it was a very bizarre hearing. That said, though, the emotion that came out, the, the information that was given to us for the very first time was so overwhelming, including what Travis McMichael said uh, at the very end of this, the last two words he uttered, um, that Ahmad Arbery, the, those men, may have been the last two words he heard. That, it, it did, it worked. I mean, it transit the emotion that you would have in a normal hearing, it was there. And it was there because the details were just so vivid and and frankly, so disgusting. Well, let's let's get to that part of the testimony. I, I want to play it for the for the folks at home. Uh, we're going to bleep it out uh, for you, so you don't have to hear those ugly words. Uh, but I think we all know what they what they are. Here's the testimony. Yes, um, Mr. Bryan said that after the shooting took place, before police arrival, while Mr. Aubrey was on the ground, that he heard Travis Michael make the statement. I wasn't expecting it. I, I don't know. I, I guess the, the family had a, a, was warned about it, that it was coming up. They kind of knew it was coming up. But I don't think the rest of us had any idea that this was going to be part of this case, which has now sort of taken over the case to a certain extent. Yeah, no, it was a game changer. And it's interesting. There was a large group of people outside the courthouse. And I was talking to a number of people there that were there to demonstrate. And few of the African-American people said they would have been surprised if something like that didn't come out. So they're surprised. Their surprise level wasn't um, as high as mine was. Frankly, I was shocked to hear that. And it really, um, to me, brought this home to what African-Americans feel um, every day, a lot of them. And um, this was the worst case scenario of a racist individual. If it's true, and this is what Roddy Bryan says happened, if it's true, uh, it's just disheartening. And you, you felt after that was disclosed, Inside, outside the courthouse, it was a different. Well, let's go outside the courthouse right now because uh, the attorney for the family, Lee Merritt, spoke and, and addressed this. Let's take a listen. Before this trial, I mean, before this hearing, it, we believe that racism may have played a role in the murder of Ahmaud Arbery. After this hearing, they removed all doubt. Uh, racism was the basis of the murder of Ahmaud Arbery. It, it lied in every uh, decision they made uh, from when they identified Ahmaud as a jogger and said that that behavior was criminal uh, without, any, without anything more. When Ahmaud tried to run away um, and, and, and Mr. Roddy said he determined that, that he was trying to carjack him as he chased him with his car. Um, to the to the point where uh, Mr. Roddy's attorney says that Ahmad Arbery appeared angry as he was being hunted down by men with guns, um, as opposed to being scared and running away. To the point where Mr. Uh, Travis McMichael, who was who, according to his attorney, 30 to 40 yards out, said he made the determination that Ahmad was coming for him, despite the fact that he was obviously running away from him before he lifted his high-powered rifle and shot him in his chest. There. I, each of these men's actions were almost entirely determined by racism and implicit bias. To me, this is a powerful, powerful um, 
piece of testimony, piece of evidence, and I understand what it does to everything. But, Ted, um, this is what Roddy Bryan says that Travis McMichael said. That's hearsay within hearsay, double hearsay. Um, if Roddy Bryan doesn't testify voluntarily during the trial, I don't think the jury's ever going to hear that. But the world has heard it already. Yeah, and the jury pool has heard it already. Uh, that, you know, uh, sure, they'll be asked if, if you put it aside. I think it's going to be a factor whether or not it actually comes out in trial. And that's the other part. Will Roddy Bryant eventually, you know, will they decide they need him and offer him a plea deal and have him be a witness? That remains to be seen. But you're right. As, as powerful as that is, if any jury heard that, and along with the facts, boom, that's, you know. It's over. It it's all over. The questions. But, but might but, not come but, in. Yeah, but it may not come in. To me, that's um, – and, and, and you talked about Roddy Bryan and his attorney. Uh, his attorney it continues to be uh, who I call, um, Ted, the – he's the, the, the wild card in all of this. He's been uh, very out front, has spoken to us, has spoken a lot, has been very aggressive in his defense of Roddy Bryan, again, who was the man who recorded the video. He also spoke outside the courthouse. Uh, let's take a listen. But factually, this is a two-day trial. Two-day trial all day long. And ironically, the star witness for the prosecution is supposed to be Mr. Bryan. I don't know how they're going to do that. You know, they've taken the Mockingbird. You're familiar with the, with the book. It's a sin to kill a Mockingbird. Well, the one thing worse than killing a Mockingbird is trying to turn it into a canary. They had a Mockingbird. And they stepped on it and they trashed it. And now somehow they think it's going to benefit the, uh, the Arbery's cause for justice to be prosecuting, which... You know, I think in retrospect, uh, you don't have to be a lawyer to understand that was probably not a, a wise decision. All right. So this this brings us to uh, the point that you were making, Ted, which is, does he take it? Did you get any indication that you think Roddy Bryan would take a deal and do time in prison and, you know, reduced time in prison in exchange for cooperating and, and testifying? Not right now. I think Kevin Goff thinks he's going to be able to walk him out of that courthouse. Uh, so. That would be a shocker to me if he did take a deal that that had a significant prison sentence. And the other thing that Kevin Goff has said, and, and, and again, being very aggressive, he, he has said and stated on the record that he's ready to try this case July 4th with the first 12 people from Glynn County, Georgia, who walk into the courtroom. Was he still saying that after the prelim? Yeah, I asked him. I said, do you still want to try it here in Glynn County? Do you still want the t first 12 out of the box? And he said, absolutely. And then he went on to say, which just rocked me. He said, my client is no more racist than anyone else in this county. And therein lies the problem. Wow. Well, Ted, I appreciate your time giving us a, a firsthand account. Uh, Ted Rollins, anchor for Court TV, joining us here on the Court TV podcast. Thank you, Ted. When we come back, let's talk about Glynn County, Georgia, okay? And let's debate it uh, about whether or not this case should be tried in Glynn County or should be tried somewhere else. I actually believe it should be tried in Glynn County, Georgia. Uh, but we're going to bring in an attorney who says, no way, you've got to put that case somewhere else. The legendary Daryl Cohen joins us next.
Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area. Welcome back to the Court TV podcast. And the case involving the shooting of Ahmad Arbery took place down in southeast Georgia in Glynn County. Glynn County, Georgia. That's where the crime took place, or the alleged crime, depending upon your perspective, right? There's always another side to all of this. And that's where cases get tried. Cases get tried where the crime or alleged crime takes place. Because the way our system of justice is set up is that the people, the jurors in that jurisdiction, the people who are impacted by the conduct of the accused get to decide what the facts are, what happened, and whether or not that's a violation of law. That's the beauty of our system, that, that it's, a, it's a system that is decided by um, the people that it affects, the people that it impacts. So from my perspective... There is only one place to have this trial, and this trial needs to take place in Glynn County, Georgia. That's where it happened. And, and through my years at Court TV, I don't care where you go, you can always find 12 people. Well, my next guest doesn't necessarily agree with me, and this is interesting because my next guest that I'm bringing on, I bring him on a lot, and, and, and I've been doing it for years because usually he's right. You know, I bring him on as an expert because usually he gets it and he will be able to say, okay, and everyone else is pontificating left and right. He comes in in three sentences, tells me at the beginning of the case what's going to happen. And then uh, at the end, by the time we get to the end of the case, that's what happened. But uh, I'm not agreeing with him today. Daryl Cohen joins us. He's a former prosecutor. He is a, a defense attorney. He's been uh, practicing for many years, has been on court TV since the original court TV and um, has, has practiced in Georgia. So he, he knows uh, these folks better than, than, than I do. Um, he's been down in Georgia a lot longer than I have. All right, Daryl, um, welcome to the podcast, first of all. Thanks, Vinny. It's good to be here. You're too kind to me. I'm always right, except when I'm wrong. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, um, Daryl, tell me why on earth we need to move a case from the jurisdiction within which it occurred, okay? And this is a case that everyone's heard about, no matter where you are. And it's, it's not, not even, even if you're out of Georgia, you know about this case and you've watched the, the viral video. Why would you not want the people of Glynn County to judge these three men, these three uh, um, citizens of Glynn County who are accused of murdering another citizen of Glynn County? Let me turn that back on you, Vinny. Why would you want them to? Every time we have a jury, we want them to be F and I. What does that mean? Fair and impartial. There is no way that with all of the pretrial publicity this case has received that the county of Glenn, that Glenn County, could possibly seat 12 jurors that were fair and impartial. Yes, you can find 12 jurors but it's too small a jury pool and it needs to be moved to a larger metropolitan area where you have a cross section of people, both age, sex, sexual orientation, and most importantly, race. 
But wait, wait, wait. A, a quick time out here, Daryl. Um, looking at Glynn County, I mean, we've got 85,000 people living there, right? We only need 12. 66% white, 26% black. It's a, it's, a, it's a mixed community. And it's the community where this alleged crime took place. You want to move this trial to some place that is unlike Glynn County? Is that what you want to do? Yes. And as an example, who is the prosecutor now from Cobb County, Georgia? She's African-American. She's as good as it gets. She has great integrity. She has a terrific office. Joyette Holmes is a great DA. She also, by the way, is the first African-American female district attorney in Cobb County. So why would you want to move it? Because you need a much larger jury pool, not 85,000 people total, but hundreds of thousands of people, because maybe, just maybe, you might find some people that paid attention to this ever so slightly and moved on to the next problem that we had. Was it the pandemic? Was it George Floyd? But you want them not to be focused on this case and have a predisposition for a guilty or a not guilty verdict. Well, isn't that what voir dire is, right? And, 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 and folks, the reason I'm arguing this, I'm not arguing this in this case in particular. I'm arguing this in every single case. I make the same argument that you try the case in the county where the, where the crime took place. Up until the point that you go through uh, the process of attempting jury selection uh, that doesn't work. Like if you're if you can't find someone after you have fifteen hundred potential jurors in, you can't find twelve. All right. Then maybe you move on. But I think way too often attorneys like Daryl, perhaps, are, are so quick to not trust the people of the jurisdiction of where this took place. And when it comes to high profile, because that's all we do at Court TV, Daryl, you know that. All the cases we cover are high profile. Um, eventually, you're going to find 12 people. This case, the Ahmad Arbery case, can you tell me a place in Georgia that they haven't talked about it? Can you talk about a place in our country where they haven't talked about it, where they haven't seen the video, where it hasn't gone viral, right? You've got the Internet, Daryl. Yes, I have the Internet, as does everyone else. But having said that, Vinny, it's gone viral but in Brunswick, in Glen County, Georgia, it is going to likely be at the top of everyone's mind, in the middle of their mind, and at the bottom of their mind, whereas in other metropolitan areas, such as the city of Atlanta, Fulton County, or Cobb County, or DeKalb County, or even Clayton County, you've got, or Gwinnett County, you will have other things that have happened, so it's taken it away from the top of their mind, just something that happened chronologically, yesterday, whenever yesterday was. I normally agree with you that where a crime takes place is where the trial should take place, if there is a trial, unless there's a plea. Not here. Too high publicity, too much publicity. And as a result of that, I don't see how they can possibly get a fair trial. And I don't know that the fair trial would be those that would convict them because of what they've seen or those that would acquit them because of who they are. And what you're saying is you don't know which which way the unfairness would go in Glynn County. Is that what you're, is that your your take on this? That both sides could be prejudiced. Absolutely. And Vinny, think about this for a moment. There's a trial in Glynn County, and they're acquitted. Those jurors, though anonymous, because they're only twelve, they would never be anonymous. And for certain segments of our population, they would never live it down. Now let's assume there's twelve men and women who decide that they are to convict the three of them. 
they also would not be anonymous. And for certain sides, they would never live it down. It's a small community. 85,000 people is not a large community, even though sometimes it appears to be. And they would be living with that the rest of their lives. They don't need this. I don't need to do the right thing, Vinny, and worry that someone's not going to like what I did because of not being able to get in my mind or because they've looked at the evidence. They don't see it the way I do. Well, there are six people who might disagree with you. The, the jurors from the George Zimmerman case. I mean, they, they, they were from the county. They stayed in the county. They found uh, George Zimmerman not guilty, and, and they've lived their lives. I mean, isn't that, the, isn't that the way our system is predicated here, that you get a, a system of your peer, a jury of your peers, and, and the people who are closest to being your peers are the people who kind of live in the same community that you do? I mean, the, the argument you're making is almost a, akin to getting, like, professional uh, jurors in here. To, to try to take it away, taking the power away from the people of their community to, to determine what's right and what's wrong inside their community. Vinny, I agree with you, except to compare Orlando with the numbers of people they have and the multicultural people in Orlando with, with Brunswick, with Glynn County is but completely wait a, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, Daryl, isn't it true? That jurors cannot be excluded. Like a, like a lawyer like you cannot go in a courtroom and say, uh, Your Honor, please remove juror number 12. You cannot do that because of the color of their skin. That is illegal. That is totally illegal. So, so why are we talking about race before we pick the jury when we can't consider race during the selection of a jury? Everybody considers everything. And do what I say, not necessarily what I do, or watch what I do as opposed to what you hear me say. If I want someone excluded, I get a certain number of strikes for whatever reason. I don't have to say why. I get other strikes for cause, and I may not like the way they walk. I may not like the way a potential juror looks at me, and he or she may be African-American, they may be Asian, they may be Caucasian, they may be biracial, who cares? But I can find a way to exclude that juror or some of those jurors regardless. Say, what I say is not necessarily what I do. So you're saying that lawyers aren't honest? Is that what you're saying, Daryl? That's 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 what I'm hearing right now. I don't know about the folks at no, home, what not. they're hearing. No, you're not. You're hearing that lawyers are hired gun, and we do what we have to do to represent our client fairly and accurately and hopefully with great integrity. So as I look at, at this case, and again, I am not advocating uh, for one side or the other. I, I, I believe what I believe based upon the videotape, right? Um, I'm looking at the way our system works. And, and for me, the most important part of our system is that you, you have the opportunity of a jury of your peers. Now, Daryl, you're talking about moving this case. What I've heard from at least one of the defense attorneys who's spoken out, he has said, I want the case tried here in Glynn County. So I don't think that if, if the defendant doesn't want to move, it doesn't get moved, does it? Well, that's one of three. And quite honestly, the demographics that you mentioned I wouldn't want to move it either. But if I were the state, I would want to move it, and I want to move it quickly. We shall see how it all turns out. Uh, uh, Daryl, it, it's always great uh, going back and forth with you. It, it's much safer here on the podcast than when we step on the basketball court together because <laughs> I've run into a Daryl Cohen pick, and it's like running into a brick wall. 
I mean, the whole side of my, the first time I did that, which was the last time, because I would never do it again, my whole body was bruised on one side, Daryl. So uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm staying safe today, isolated from you. I miss you. All right. Daryl Cohen, folks, legendary attorney, uh, a friend of mine, obviously, but uh, we, we can uh, agree to disagree on this one. And you can agree to disagree with me as well. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk about what the defense um, is going to say during the course of this trial, because we got a, a huge it was more than a hint. We got kind of hit over the head with it in the preliminary hearing. So based upon what the defense of Travis McMichael, the one with the shotgun, right? What his attorney said inside the courtroom, I think, gives us a good indication of what his defense will be. When we come back, I will take a look at that defense and give you my opinion. For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front-row seat to justice. You are of the opinion that this was not self-defense by Mr. I don't believe it was self-defense by Mr. McMichael. I believe it was self-defense by Mr. Auburn. Yes, I believe Mr. Auburn was being pursued. And he ran until he couldn't run anymore. And it was turning back to a man with a shotgun or or fight with bare hands against the man with a shotgun. He chose to fight. And not to run through a side yard or not to run through another yard or anything like that. I think his thing was to. I believe Mr. Aubrey's decision was to just try to get away. When he felt like he could not escape, he chose to fight. So that was the cross-examination of the lead investigator in the case. And what is significant about that cross-examination is not so much the answer, although that may play a role in, in some of this. It's really the questioning, right? And, and the questioning is, uh, you are of the opinion that this is not self-defense by Mr. McMichael? And this is the attorney for Travis McMichael. Let's not forget who he is. He's the guy on the ground with the shotgun. He's the one who fired the shotgun three times. Had to pump that shotgun to reload. Okay? The first shot going uh, right to the center uh, of Ahmad Arbery's chest. Okay? That's who Travis McMichael is. That's what the testimony was. That's what the evidence is so far. The defense may, may dispute where the first shot went, but that's what the evidence was at the preliminary hearing. That's who Travis McMichael is. So what's his allegation here? Or what's, what's his defense? Self-defense. You know, and, and, and pretty much has to be. And I don't fault criminal defense attorneys for doing their job, but I'm entitled to take what they're saying and give you my opinion of it based upon my experience, which again is as a, a prosecutor. And let me start here and, 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 and say that I believe in self-defense. You can tell there's a big butt coming, right? Um, I believe in self-defense. I am actually a, an advocate for stand your ground. That may surprise you. I mean, it may, it may surprise you. I don't know. Based upon the way this issue is played out uh, in the public. And, and I believe in it because whether it's self-defense, stand your ground, or the castle doctrine, which is basically when you're at home, you're, you're entitled to defend yourself, um, all of those, those legal concepts empower victims 
okay? That's why they are created. That's why they're part of our law. They are to empower victims. Let me explain what I mean. And, and we'll start with um, the castle doctrine, okay? Which is, you are in your house, your castle. Someone comes into your house, you are entitled to use lethal force. Why? Because you have no duty to retreat. You have no duty to escape. And this is, this is a change in our law. I mean, there was a time before Stand Your Ground, before the way self-defense is interpreted now, and before the castle doctrine was uniform everywhere, pretty much everywhere, it was that you as the victim had to first say, okay, is there a way for me to get out of here? Is there a way for me to get out of this situation before I am entitled to use force against the person who is victimizing me? And to me, that's outrageous. You're, you're putting a burden on the victim of a crime? That's outrageous. I've always been an advocate for victims. That's one of the reasons I, I became a prosecutor. And that, to me, in its purest form, is the, is the reason that we have the Castle Doctrine, the reason why you can do what you do uh, in self-defense and why you have Stand Your Ground. Stand Your Ground took the Castle Doctrine and just took it outside and basically said, okay, if I am legally where I'm allowed to be, and now I am all of a sudden the victim of someone, I do not have to figure out a way out of this situation before I can defend myself. And think about it. And, and this is what it was. In, it, this was why it was created, because I'll tell you how ridiculous it, it actually got. You had at one point in this country, and it may still happen in some jurisdictions. I don't know where people have broken into other people's homes, gotten hurt doing it, and then have sued the homeowner. Wait, you just broke into my house, and now you're suing me? It's outrageous. And, and when you get sued, you've got to defend yourself. So what Stand Your Ground did is really uh, attempt to give victims power and give victims immunity, immunity from criminal prosecution and immunity from civil lawsuits. And that's what it's really about. And, and that's why I am a proponent of self-defense, castle doctrine, and Stand Your Ground. And, and the reason why it's gotten really a bad name is because of its misuse or attempted misuse by citizens and by criminal defense attorneys at trials and cases. And, and people want to abolish this. We abolish this. Then, then what's the alternative? The alternative is, okay, you're getting attacked. You better figure out how to get out of there. And if there's any way out of there, you better take it. Otherwise you're not entitled to defend yourself. T to me, that's, that's, Insane. So now let's get back to what we were talking about here, which is this defendant, Travis McMichael, and his attorney claiming self-defense in this case, in the shooting of Ahmaud Arbery. So how, how do we get to self-defense? Well, again, let's go back to what I said. What is self-defense? Who does it empower? It empowers victims. Is Travis McMichael a victim? What is he a victim of? 
and and this is this is exactly the way it's going to play out in court. I believe is they are going to try to take everything that happened that day and shrink it down to one moment that we don't see on the video, the moment in front of the pickup truck where we don't exactly see what Ahmad Arbery is doing and what Travis McMichael is doing at the time he fires the first shot. They want that split-second snapshot to be what the entire case is about, and they will argue that it was self-defense that Ahmad Arbery, as he rounded that pickup truck, went to attack Travis McMichael. It's absurd. And I'll tell you why it's absurd. Because you have blinders on. You have absolute blinders to the entire situation. The entire situation is a pursuit. And you heard Ted Rollins describe it, where you're going up and down, doubling back, trying to get out of this neighborhood, and he just can't get out. And he's, and he's surrounded, and he's trapped. And now the question is, I'm surrounded and trapped, and there's a guy with a shotgun. What do I do if I turn my back to the guy with the shotgun? Why is he, why is he following me? Why are these people chasing me? What is going on? The one who is the one who's engaging in self-defense is not Travis McMichael. It's Ahmad Arbery. He's the one who's being pursued. Who are these two? Who are these two people? These two people in this pickup truck? Who's the guy in the other pickup truck? Why are they following me? Why won't they leave me alone? Why won't they let me leave? He's the one engaging in self-defense. Not Travis McMichael. You can't initiate a confrontation and then claim self-defense. You cannot initiate a situation and then argue to me that you're the victim. You're not the victim. You're the one who started it. That's my take on on, on what I think about this self-defense defense. But ultimately, it's not up to me. And I I believe it should be up to 12 people in Glynn County, Georgia, even though Daryl Cohen disagrees. We'll see how it all turns out. Of of course, at Court TV, we'll continue to cover this story and these issues day in and day out. Right now, you can watch me live on Court TV every night from 8 to 11 p.m. 8 to 11, we're live every night covering this story and everything else happening in our world of justice If you don't have Court TV, I don't know why you don't, because we are just about everywhere. If you have a digital antenna, please take that antenna, rescan it, rescan it again, and guess what? We'll probably pop up because we're we're, we're all over the place. Uh, Anyway, I really appreciate your time. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. And and as I said before, uh, stay safe with your family. And as always, don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.